all places together. Here we believe that our lives are connected to one another and rooted in God's inclusive and expansive love for diverse creation. I'm Colleen Montgomery, pastor of All Places Together and your podcast host. Wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, take a deep breath. It's the season of creation. Let's talk about wilderness. third week of this season of creation, we've got another environmental expert joining us to talk about wilderness and the importance of decolonizing land so that nature can do its thing and heal. I met today's guest through the Seeds Fellowship, which is run through Luther Seminary. She brings such passion and kindness and knowledge, and I'm so excited for y'all to hear what she says. Heidi Ferris is the chief grower of Growing Green Hearts based out of Minnesota. Heidi uses pronouns like she and her. Heidi is an environmental education consultant with a master's in environmental education and is working on her PhD at the University of St. Thomas. She started Growing Green Hearts in 2011 to combine her passion for Earth's interconnected systems with her creative talents in the teaching of children and educators. Heidi was a middle school and high school level science teacher for a decade before starting Growing Green Hearts and also has experience in curriculum writing for classrooms, faith-based groups, and secular nonprofits. Heidi is a member of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, where her husband is a pastor and she has two children. In her free time, she loves to kayak the many lakes of Minnesota, as well as Lake Superior and the Mississippi River, and to have potluck dinners with family and friends. Welcome to All Places Together, Heidi. I'm so glad you're here with us today. Thank you for having me. So I'd love to start off just by hearing your story about how you got interested in creation care. How did you get to the point of being a chief grower and environmental educator? Well, um, when I was a kid, Playing in the woods of Minnesota and on Minnesota lakes was just a part of life. So now it may be considered um, that phrase free range kids, uh, but I grew up in the suburbs where there were a lot of 
forests. And also in Minnesota, there are about 12,000 lakes. The license plate says 10,000, but there are actually more. Uh, so I had a chance to play a lot outside. And I think that's where my my connectedness to, um, to this environment really started and grew and strengthened um, so much that I uh, later on became a science teacher and then also um, earned a master's in environmental education. And I put that to use in two different ways that led to me um, getting more more deeply invested and interested in creation care um, and bridging faith and science. The first way um, was uh, through teacher trainings nearly 20 years ago um, around climate change and realizing this really is not just a science issue. This is a justice issue and mm. this is going to affect everybody around the whole planet including um, locally. Uh, so having that science background and environmental education background and then specific um, trainings and connections with scientists um, working on climate and uh, climate change. The second way I became really interested and in, in shifted from just science education to to creation care would be when my kids were really little. I started to notice as a middle school teacher and parent of two toddlers, there seemed to be a growing disconnection between people and place. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the things that people uh, young and old seem to really enjoy, but were missing out on a lot was just playing in nature. So um, that's when I started thinking maybe instead of just doing classroom science education, maybe there's a need, maybe there's a niche, maybe I'm hearing a vocational call to do nature play and climate justice work outside the walls of a school. And that's when I started growing green hearts. That's such an amazing and beautiful story about how this started in your childhood and your own play and curiosity and now how you help kind of spark that and teach that in people of all ages. And I just have to think that the disconnect between people and place has increased since the time that your kids were toddlers and especially during the pandemic as well. Yeah, it, some re some research says that there um, there has been an increase since the pandemic. People spending time outside or uses of parks and um, camping in national parks, for example, set records. Oh, but yeah. just using and being in a space is not quite the same as connection. When we talk mm -hmm. connection, I feel like there there is this um, theological sense of belonging and being part of something bigger, the curiosity, the wonder, the, the time you spend where you're not looking at a clock, it just feels comfortable, relaxed, and you're part of, of like I said, part of something bigger in creation. So um, yeah, the pandemic, <laughs> we're still, we're still learning and growing from this pandemic, aren't we? Yes. Oh my <laughs> goodness. In so many ways, yeah. in every area of life. Yeah. Yes. So now that Growing Green Hearts exists in the world, what types of programs and work do you do through your organization? 
Well, Growing Green Hearts is uh, is a small, I like to say Growing Green Hearts is a small but mighty organization in that we've got some flexibility, some nimbleness to meet people where they're at, to go to places, not just to provide a product, but serve mm. people uh, where they're at. And that looks like schools, libraries, preschools and child care centers, uh, faith-based groups. Um, so a few examples of that um, would be uh, nature play for preschools. Mm. So maybe a manufactured playground um, or a typical playground. Uh, the teachers are learning more about the power of nature play for for learning, but also mental health of these early learners. And they want um, they would like to have a little more nature play in their curriculum and at their site. So I can go and provide um, examples on how to add some rocks and logs and uh, children's literature. And if it is a faith-based institution, I can also blend in some Bible stories and talk about ecology of land, air, water, and living things and how this is um, benefiting their learning community. Uh, another example might be with um, a library that uh, there are a few libraries I've been working with over the years that have been installing um, native prairie plants. Uh, sometimes they're called pocket prairies, or in some cases, uh, the prairie plants in Minnesota would be along a lake shore or a storm pond because they help to clean the water and provide habitat. So whether it's a, a school or community group, there are ways I work to teach and reach and create spaces um, where there's need. I think pocket prairie is the most adorable phrase that I've heard all week. <laughs> and yeah, there, there's less than 1% of native prairie left in Minnesota, Colleen. Wow. It used to cover one third of the state. So when I say pocket prairie, you know, it's not people that have acres and acres of land to switch over. Um, what I'm talking about is maybe it's five to 10 plants by your mailbox yeah. or um, a church that chooses to switch out some lawn and put in a, a butterfly pocket prairie garden, or there's also something we call a rain garden um, mm -hmm. that has prairie plants. Well, and that's just such a staggering statistic. And that really leads well into our next question, um, that today within the season of creation, we're really focusing on wilderness. And so can you share with us that what happens when when areas lose wilderness, in particular where you live in Minnesota, what's the impact of the loss of prairie? Well, when we lose wilderness, it's um, it's a complex interaction of land, air, water, and living things. Mm. So if we wanted to use the science language for that, land would be geosphere, all the the land and earth's materials from soil and sand to boulders, rocks, on up to those uh, landforms like uh, mountains, plains, and plateaus. So that's geosphere, which is deeply connected with hydrosphere, the water and how it cycles around our planet, 
from oceans to rivers, lakes, streams, wetlands, clouds, groundwater. Um, and then we also have biosphere, which would be the plants and animals, whether that's a rainforest at the equator on up to um, prairie and different types of forests like coniferous deciduous on up to um, different Arctic regions um, and tundra areas. So we've got geosphere, um, also hydrosphere, biosphere, but I don't want to forget about atmosphere because it is often forgotten. <laughs> atmosphere is the thin skin <laughs> we can't of gases. Always see it. Right. It's it, it's clear. It serves us well. We don't <laughs> often acknowledge it. Like it ideally, is. it's clear. We like it when it's clear. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Ideally, when it's clear. Um, but the the atmosphere would be the thin skin of gases. And when we talk about climate change, that's really important to talk atmosphere since it's the atmosphere that has had this increase in heat trapping gases over multiple decades and that has run out of control. So when we talk atmosphere and climate change, we, we can't talk about that without also talking about plants and people and animals and rocks and waters because they're all interconnected. Um, so, it, so I think of wilderness as the interconnectedness of land, air, water, and living things, mm. those spheres all around our planet. And the and as you pointed out, right, like the wilderness looks different across the globe. So it's prairie where you live and it was rain, it's rainforest and other places. But kind of no matter where you are, the loss of that wilderness is going to have an impact, right? Yes, absolutely. If we are taking out uh, forests, then we're we're losing some of our our lungs. Some of those um, plants are well. All of those plants are are cleaning and filtering air. So that would just be one basic example. Uh, but if you also change the change the forest or the plant cover of a place, then you're impacting water as well. Because oftentimes mm -hmm. the root systems of forests and prairies, um, those roots are, are holding soil in place. So you end up with polluted water. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely all connected in, in the wilderness. Yeah. So in Minnesota, what types of impacts have you seen at the loss of prairie? Well, um, I, I'm a hopeful person and <laughs> I would say that in the past, yeah, in the past five to 10 years, there's been a swing of increased science literacy, mm. increasing of planting for pollinators, um, an increase of areas where people have chosen to sink carbon. Um, and that, that's really connected to to putting back prairie and, and also forests um, to create that habitat, to put the wilderness back. If we were to go back a century, even a century mm -hmm. and a half in Minnesota, we could then talk about colonization of prairie. We can even branch into stolen land. So this land that I live in called Minnesota is also known in the Lakota language as Minnesota Makoche, or land that where the water reflects the sky. And this land here in Minnesota, uh, if we go back a century and a half, 
was prairie and over time became stolen from um, from the people that originally lived here, Lakota, Ho-Chunk, Ojibwe. And that prairie land was converted from, from prairie, from wilderness to agricultural land. Now, I love food. Anyone else out there who loves food? Colleen, how about oh, you? Oh, yeah. Big food lover. Everyone in this house, probably all most of the listeners, too, I'm guessing, love food. <laughs> all right. So I bring that up um, because as people who eat food, <laughs> this is a complex issue. This is not just an issue of of over a century ago, it's an issue of today because we eat food. We eat food that is grown in lands uh, in the Midwest where we've got wheat and sugar beets and corn. And so many of those are connected to the foods we eat every day. And the place where those foods were um, are often grown is, is land that was prairie and was stolen from indigenous people. So once wilderness, wild prairie with millions of bison and thousands of prairie plant species that uh, have deep roots that were sinking carbon and cleaning air and water and providing habitat for pollinators and birds and other critters, that prairie wilderness has been changed over time. And I would name that process uh, colonization. So the positive pieces I see are in the past five years, especially maybe even going back 10, the process of decolonization, where people are naming this story and working to understand this story and asking forgiveness for things mm. that were wrong and acknowledging the land as stolen and then moving that knowledge to action. And by action, they're planting pocket prairies. They're maybe even decolonizing their lawn at church. Um, a few weeks ago, I worked with a congregation. Actually, five congregations came together to help change a, a church lawn that was probably, oh, maybe 70 feet by 30 feet um, in the heart of the city, taking that lawn out and putting native prairie plants in, putting in a rain garden, specialized plants for um, butterflies and pollinators. And also those plants were specifically chosen because they're medicinal um, prairie plants in the Lakota tradition. So people can come and pick if they'd like. Wow. Out of, you're the first person who really taught me the use of decolonize in this way. Like I've heard it used, um, you know, in a, in a faith context of, you know, uh, diversifying your voices and, and trying to get the colonialism out of um, your faith and especially around like mission work and that type of thing. Um, I've heard it in other contexts as well, but you're really the first person who has taught me about this idea of like decolonizing a lawn. And I just think that is fascinating. And and as you share the history, it's it's the word. Like it's the perfect word. Like it makes so much sense. Um and and from what I'm hearing, it sounds like it doesn't necessarily have to be like a huge amount of land or or space in order to decolonize to make an impact. 
Um, so how can people do that in the green space that's around them, um, whether that's their work or their home, their church, spaces in their city? What are what are some strategies that you teach people or invite people into? Well, I invite people to first simply notice nature. Mm. Outside, take a deep breath of clean air. Notice where the water flows where you live. Maybe that's a river, but maybe it's also the downspout. Um, take a take a deep breath. Notice where water flows. Also notice what critters are nearby. Are there bugs? Are there bunnies? Are there larger animals? And how are they interacting with these spaces um, where you live? So slowing down to notice nature, I think, is one of the best things people can do. Because once we slow down and notice nature, then our wonder and inquiry kick in. Mm. And this is where we also have playfulness. In my opinion, my experience, this is where I can shift my thinking from something that can be scary and bring about anxiety, like climate change. What? The whole world is changing? Oof. These interconnected systems and crashes of in, in, in environmental um, biomes, uh, it can be scary. It is. It is very but, scary. <laughs> yes. To slow down and notice nature is to also be present in God's abundant creation. Mm. And I think that's a very valuable tool for people to have to simply notice. Because once we notice, then we kick into that wonder and that inquiry. And when we're asking and wondering, then we're learning. And that might might uh, have someone watch a video or look at a book or meet with an expert or take a class, um, learn about more uh, more things of, of where you live, um, whether that's the land, air, water, or living things. So noticing and then learning. And after you learn, I just I just have a feeling you're gonna move into action. Mm -hmm. Knowledge to action. Once you learn about something and you start to follow what you're curious and wondering about, you're going to find ways that you can make a difference. Whether that is growing some of your own food locally, or supporting the local CSA, or maybe it's starting your own pocket prairie, or seed saving, or helping at the local school or faith community with their gardening efforts. Or maybe it's not even having to do with plants at all. Maybe you're more passionate about energy and solar energy or energy conservation or insulation or, or things of that nature. So in all, my advice is to notice nature first. From there, our brains are just automatically going to shift to wonder and inquiry. And that's where the learning happens. And from there, action action out of hope and a better understanding of where we're at in this abundant, amazing creation. I appreciate the diversity of options that that simple path kind of lays out and that you you invite people to to kind of go where their curiosity is and where their energy is. Because um, I know sometimes it feels like it's so hard to do all of the things like all of the time to to save 
the world and all of these things. And just that invitation to, to focus in on what you're passionate about and what your community need is. Like, I think that's just so helpful and grace-filled. And together, all of our actions can make a big impact. Yes, especially that embracing of wilderness. Mm. When I think back about that word colonization, the word control fits close alongside for me. Oh, yeah. I don't know that I really thought about that before, but yeah, Heidi, keep going. Yeah. So if I go out in, in my local park and I'm noticing nature, I might notice that the wildlife is hanging around the tall grasses and the trees. It's not in the controlled space where there's a pavement path and a manicured lawn. So decolonization of lawn looks like stepping back from trying to control, stepping back from having to mow the lawn once or twice a week, stepping back from overwatering to make sure I can keep up with a green lawn when we're in the midst of a drought, stepping back from putting pesticides and fertilizers on a mono culture space and stepping into wildness, stepping into a place where there's biodiversity and little critters I haven't noticed before (laughs) and a variety of species, whether that's five to 10, maybe even 20 in a small small space. So uh, stepping away from control and better understanding wilderness. I love that. And I know that from what you've already shared with us and more of just your history as well, that you've done a lot of work with children. What impact does teaching about the environment have on children and how their perspectives about the environment might be able to shift as they grow up? This is such a deeply important question for these times. And it makes me think about pausing. Uh, well, actually, why don't we try this? Just let's let's pause, take a deep breath, and feel, remember a time uh, of belonging. Okay, I've got one. That feeling of belonging might be with friends or a team or community or family, but there's also the potential to belong in the place where you live. In environmental education, we call this sense of place. You're connected there, it's home to you. And um, there's a, a theory called ecological citizenship theory that says when people have that belonging and connection, they are more likely to care for and move into action in care of, of that place. So whether we're talking the, the, the town or city where you live, the state where you live, the country, or the entire planet Earth, if we feel connected and, and belonging, connection and belonging, we feel that, then according to the theory, we're more likely to act. And, and I should also say, in my experience of doing science education and environmental education over 25 years, I've seen this to be true as well. So 
When I think about working with children, I will always say that they've taught me more <laughs> than I can ever teach them. Amen. That is the truth. <laughs> so curious and so wonderful. And I love their questions and their actions and just the unbridledness and the openness. Um, but also uh, a lot of the curriculum work that I've done and projects, the service learning projects in particular, uh, are, are places where I create space for youth to lead. Mm -hmm. uh, knowing that I'm doing the best I can to care for this planet and build connection, but they are ultimately taking over this job. Uh, yeah. And you know what? why not take over right now? So we can all do a little bit here, a little bit there, and it adds up to a whole lot. And I think a big part of that is helping students understand that they're not just learning, they're leading. That's such a powerful shift um, because like what you said, like they're going to be the ones who are here once older generations pass on or step out of leadership power um, and are really going to be the ones to reckon with a lot of the ongoing changes that we're seeing. And so to learn those skills at a young age and to become leaders and dialogue partners makes a lot of sense. Yes. Yes. And in that, you know, circling back to those interconnected systems of land, air, water, and living things, uh, I appreciate that, that, that ecology, but also that eco-theology, because when we look at Genesis through Revelation, sure, the Bible is not a science textbook, but it definitely speaks to science within the book, to these mm. interconnected systems of land, air, and living things. They're all throughout parables and psalms and beautiful references to nature and um, and abundance in God's creation. So when I ask students um, to, in a um, religious setting, uh, whether that's Christian or interdenominational, when I ask students to learn, it's also, hey, can you help lead by breaking down this false barrier between faith and science? That's a very Preach. old way of thinking. It's a misconception. You can lead by bridging the two. Use what you learn in school here today in this project in this intergenerational conversation about the importance of water. When you're putting in a pocket prairie and you love the butterflies, well, talk about the science of the life cycle butterflies that you learned in second grade and tell the um, the one of your elders here all about it in this place of worship. And, you know, that works also, I think, as a vocational call. I don't ask students to, you know, to, to head to school or their science arenas and be talking faith. But I would always ask a, a student uh, to be who they are and live out their vocation. So if that means using your gifts and talents, and if some of those are are science and learning and creative thinking and problem solving, you can use those gifts and talents to make this world a more trustworthy place where there's water justice and climate justice. Well, yeah, let's let's do that. You're not just learning, you're leading. Yes, please, please do that. <laughs> yes. And that's such a lovely transition to really where I wanted to end our time together that you've shared about your faith and you just dabbled a little bit in the Bible. 
there um, throughout kind of our whole conversation. But I'm curious is if there's a particular Bible verse or story that's really important to you personally that like grounds your work of creation care. There's so many ways that that nature is talked about throughout the Bible. But what's most important to you, Heidi? Oh, there are so many. Um, you can share more than one. <laughs> uh, well, one of my favorite parts in the book of Psalms is where there's reference to living in a wildly abundant world. Mm. And God, you made it all. Mm-hmm. Just that, that for me, that tr- that's a beautiful trigger in my brain towards joy and abundance. And I can't do it all. But it, this world is so big, I can be playful and hopeful and understand that um, that God made it all. So I love reading through Psalms, especially references to nature and abundance. I also love, I love the parable of the sower. I think it's um, a part of the Bible I can read over and over again and see from different angles and based on the season I'm in or the project I'm working on, how seeds are seeds are for growing, but they're also part of a larger story. And and I'm part of a larger story. I'm part of of creation and what am I called to do and how can I continue to listen to where God is planting me. Hmm. For folks who aren't as familiar with the parable of the sower, can you summarize it for us? So there are some seeds. (laughs) Imagine those being tossed out on the ground and some of them land where it's just rocky and dry Mm. and they don't grow very well. And others land where the birds or the animals come in and snatch those seeds for food. And others land in some good soil. Mm. And that soil nurtures and those seeds grow. I love the the joy of how you told that right there. That was just so lovely. And I was actually typing about that parable early earlier today on another project. So I love to have it woven in here too. And and I think that's also just it's such a hopeful story. Because creation care can feel so daunting. Um, again, like I kind of said before, like it's hard to do all of the things. But the the hope of this story about the seeds that are being scattered is that the seeds are going to grow and, and God's going to provide growth in that. And even the seeds that get eaten, like they're helping to take care of that animal. And, you know, we don't always know where the seeds that are in the rock, like maybe that becomes like the single dandelion that grows in the middle of the sidewalk. Um, But that it's still important to, to show that love in the world and that care for creation. um, Because we don't, we don't always know like what the impact is going to be. We may not always see the growth. Um, but God is is in all of it somehow. I love that. Yes. 
So most of your work is really rooted in Minnesota. Um, so if anyone's listening and is in the St. Paul, Minneapolis area, you can have Heidi perhaps come to wherever it is at your church or your school, your place of work. Um, so can you share with us, Heidi, how folks can get connected with you? And are there ways that people can follow and support your work who live perhaps farther away from where you are? Yes, absolutely. Thanks. Well, probably the best way to connect with what I'm doing is to go to growinggreenhearts.com. So that's my website. Um, and at growinggreenhearts.com, you might find some success stories. You might also find a few products for sale. I have, um, I have six children's books and those are, um, connecting faith, science and systems. Also, there are some, oh, this is a fun one that's, that I just posted. There's a series of bingo cards, Colleen. Oh, I love bingo. <laughs> bingo, what? But uh, they're nature play bingo cards. Um, so, you know, 20, 24 plus free space ideas on way to, to slow down and notice nature and play with nature where you live. So for for individuals or schools or families uh, just trying to create some some tools to help people do that noticing of nature uh, learning and then moving that knowledge to action and bingo cards are one way to do it so there's a uh, at the growing green hearts website there are some tools from stories to storybooks to bingo cards also there's a contact form if you wanted to to reach out and ask me any questions or looking for services around uh, teacher trainings or natural playground workshops. Wonderful. Well, I hope that lots of people go and play your nature bingo. That sounds amazing. I'm going to be taking a look at it. And I just want to say thank you again for taking the time to be with us here at All Places Together to share your knowledge and your faith and help us learn about the wilderness. And thank you, Colleen, for your curiosity, for your dedication to community, and for your playful spirit. It's been fun to be here. So fun. Thank you. A prayer for the wilderness. God, our creator, whose glory fills our planet, help us to discern your vibrant presence among us and our kin in creation, especially in the fields and forests, deserts and dunes, plains and plateaus of the wilderness. Help us empathize with your creatures who are suffering. Lift our spirits to rejoice with the creatures who call the wilderness home. In the name of Christ, who reconciles and renews all things in creation. Amen.
Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. We hope you experience God's love for you and the world in today's episode. Thank you to everyone who gathered on Zoom last week for our Trans Affirmation Letter Writing event. It was amazing. We had folks from Virginia, Texas, Wisconsin that were present with us. And then we also had folks from Indiana, Pennsylvania, Colorado, and Massachusetts sign up to receive the resources. It was so good to be together with Pastor Katie of Technicolor and so many of you as well. So thank you for your time and passion for supporting our trans siblings. If you're listening to this on the Sunday it comes out, Zoom communion is tomorrow night. You can still sign up and get the link in time for tomorrow. The date for October Zoom communion is Monday, October 16th. Y'all, have you heard that we're doing a pet blessing? All Places Together is having an online pet blessing as kind of the culmination of our season of creation. So if you've got a pet, I want to bless it. All you've got to do to participate is send an email or a direct message on socials of your pet's name and photos. We're at All Places Together on Instagram and Facebook. And then the email is allplacestogether at gmail.com. Please just be sure to send in your pet's info by September 25th. As always, thank you to our mission partners, the Virginia Synod and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Being church together is so important. Thank you to all of those who give financially to empower the ongoing work of APT. If you would like to give a financial gift, you can go to our website, allplacestogether.org. Scroll to the bottom where it says Give Now. Click that button and you'll be redirected to our giving platform. You can set up a one-time gift or a recurring donation through that page. Until next time, remember that God is with you and loves you, wherever, whoever, and however you are.